Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly reminder that those who can do and those who can't sometimes just surround themselves with those who can in an effort to make themselves look good or smart or at least competent, maybe even cool. I'm your host, Al Mancini, a man who can't cook, can't run a restaurant, and is still trying to figure out this podcasting thing. Once again, joined by some people who are amazing at all of those. Our producer, Rich Johnson, is here to make sure I sound good. Hello. And my co- Hello, Rich. <laughs> and my co-host today is one of Las Vegas' most influential restaurateurs, Jenny Wong. Oh, thank you. Hello, Jenny. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I first met Jenny when she and her husband, the strip fine dining veteran Sheridan Sue, were serving bao buns out of a hair salon on West Tropicana Avenue. In fact, I brought um, Julia Moskin of the New York Times in there to eat those bao buns with me. They were amazing. I believe Julia wrote about them, didn't they? Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Well, you know, thank you for having a cool (laughs) place that I could bring her to and feel cool. Uh, You guys went on to introduce Las Vegas to Hainan Chicken at their restaurant Flock and Fowl. They converted the Eureka Casino's coffee shop into the award-winning Fat Choy and opened the critically acclaimed Everygrain on East Charleston Avenue, which is where we are sitting right now. Yeah. (laughs) Along the way, Sheridan found himself on James Beard Award nominee list at least one time. How many times? Twice. Twice. 2018, 2019. Wow. And um, every grain is beloved by just about every serious foodie and food writer in Las Vegas that I know. It's currently, as of this morning, number two on Eater's list of the 38 essential restaurants in Las Vegas, which is pretty cool. That is, I mean, you've got a hell of a resume. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, Sheridan uh, has known that he's wanted to be a chef since he was nine. Uh, I've always been in restaurants since the age of 12. So I guess both of us were at the same time, um, you know, in restaurants or in love with food. Uh, I started as a cashier at my parents' place and then, you know, gradually just made my way through all different types of jobs, dishwashing, busing, uh, serving throughout high school, college, uh, I would walk a mile every day from my high school to my parents' restaurant. Uphill uh, both ways? Uh, uphill, <laughs> uphill one way, yeah, and then they drove me back the other way. But uh, my parents opened and closed 19 restaurants in Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, I came out here. I didn't actually want to run a restaurant. Um when I was 13, I wanted to go to Disneyland. That was like my dream. I finally made my dream come true for my son. Uh, he just turned nine, and we took him to Disneyland this past uh, weekend. Yay. So you, that was like you, a dream come you true. You lived your life in Los Angeles, yes. and it wasn't until age 13 you got to go to Disneyland? <laughs> Whoa. Well, I, I got to go to Disneyland for 20 minutes, and then we had to <laughs> go back for 78 to-go orders. So. Wow. <laughs> uh, Yikes. Yeah, so no, I mean, it was it was very interesting. You know, I told my dad I would never have restaurants. On my 30th birthday, he called me and said, congratulations on your third restaurant. <laughs> so uh, life so has... So talk about it being in your blood. Right? Yeah, it's, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA, and I can't deny it. I absolutely love it. I have... This love-hate relationship with restaurants, they don't make a lot of money, but just for whatever reason, when you're in it, you care so much about every single pour, every single plate, uh, every single person that you come across. 
So it just, it's, it's in me and it's in Sheridan. We love it. What I find interesting about you and Sheridan um, both is, and, and for those who don't know Sheridan Sue, other than his two James Beard Award nominations <laughs> um, and all the things I said earlier, uh, here in Las Vegas, a lot of people know his food from eating at Robichon. Yes. He cooked over there. He cooked at Kamsa yes. for a while. I mean, he was, he's done the fine dining thing on the strip. Yeah. He's done the huge restaurants. He's done the, yes. you know, million covers, whatever the number numbers are. I don't even know what Kamsa did, but uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And then you guys, you know, I talked about the the hair salon, which is just a beautiful story. I love it. That, that was amazing. <laughs> but, you know, he left the strip so that you guys could do a food truck together. Yes. And you did the hair salon. The original Flock and Fowl was in a tiny little strip mall over by the Golden Steer. Yep. If you're a Las Vegas foodie, you know the Golden Steer mm-hmm. and you know that area. We applied uh, for downtown project. Yeah. Um, you you were in the Ogden for a little while. Yes. Um, that restaurant's still going on, but I don't believe you're directly no, involved with it not. much anymore. Mm-hmm. And right, and then the Eureka, we say the Eureka Casino, and it yes. is a casino, but it is a, a small casino. It's a small it, local casino. casinos go, small local Slots place. parlor. I've been, I've been there and loved the food yeah. about five, six years ago. But the, that was kind of cool, that that place. It's, it's bigger than like slots of fun. There's no tables, but it still has a casino feel. Oh, it definitely does. But how many tables? tables in Fat Choy at the Eureka? So there are five booths, uh, tables one through five, and then tables 11 through 14, and then eight seats. Uh, so we have nine tables and eight booth, uh, eight yeah. seats. Okay. Yeah. And we're sitting right now in Every Grain, which is on Charleston Boulevard. <laughs> also on small. East Charleston Boulevard, another small place. About how many seats in here? And I'm getting to a point here. Okay. <laughs> I promise you. So this has 24 seats, if we want, available, but we can go up to 29 seats. Uh, and it's actually a dream come true for us because this is a small space with a restroom. All of the other spaces we previously had never had their own restrooms, other than, with the exception, Flock and Felt inside of Ogden had right. two restrooms. And the reason I bring this up is you guys really seem to thrive. You seem to enjoy this small, you know, you've, yes. you've had the opportunities to be the biggest of the big. We did. And to yeah. do large things. It's not a question of when I get my chance to do the big thing. You guys have had your chance mm-hmm. and you just really seem to thrive in small restaurants with small menus, small, very well-focused yes. menus. What is it about this environment? About uh, you know, and, and you've had the chance to expand, and I, I feel like you seem to like doing the small better. So if you could just talk to the, about that a little bit. So I think it's very impressive to be able to do big menus, and there is a lot involved, a lot of skill, and a lot of organization involved in doing big menus. For me and Sheridan, we've been there. We've tried different avenues, uh, and we feel, for us, the best fit is a small, focused menu, and then we do a few, th- a few things well, excuse me, and then if people want, we could always do private catering for them. We can do parties for them where they know us and our reputation, and we can expand our menu and our expertise at those times. But for the everyday, we love that we only have 10 to 15 items. Uh, At Fat Choi, we had 20 items originally, and then we cut that down to 16 items. 
And they were like, oh, can you please expand? And we were like, sure, what do you want us to do? And I think we added like one or two extra items. And we were like, there you go. See, we expanded the menu. But, you know, we love that people are able to come in. And it's not for everyone. There are some people, they come, they look at our menu, and they scoff. They're like, really? You're an award-winning chef, and you only want to make these items and they don't understand it and that's okay you know uh, we are trying to introduce with these small menus different focuses of food so at Fat Choi it's American diner meets Asian comfort food it is our soul in there Every day uh, we would eat American and we'd go home at night, we would eat Asian. And then here at Every Grain, it's just a Taiwanese tribute to a lot of the food that Sheridan really enjoyed. And Lurofan is one of those things where the pork and the rice is a base and that's what every Taiwanese person eats. A little bit of pork over the rice and that's their base. So imagine giving that and kind of transporting people to Taiwan via this one dish. So that's kind of what we like to do is we like to transport people almost because teleportation doesn't exist. So we can't fly you to Taiwan right away, but maybe via this one meal for 45 minutes, you mm -hmm. could feel like, oh, okay, I get it. And, and it's interesting because you, Bao, you were one of the first people here in Las Vegas yes. to really do great Bao. Now, look, <laughs> David Chang was off in New York and, and uh, the, the international press was all talking about David Chang, blah, blah, blah. But here in Vegas, you guys, Hair Salon, yeah. um, and then Fat Choi, and you know, these are the places where people got good Bao. Then you opened Flock and Fowl. Mm -hmm. Nobody had ever heard of Hainan Chicken yes. prior to Flock and Fowl. Mm -hmm. You made Hainan Chicken a, a Las Vegas staple. Every foodie wanted to eat it. it and for a food writer, I love writing about you guys because it's you. not like I have to recommend this dish or that dish. It's like, no, you go to this place, you get this dish. And that's what it is. It sort of reminds me of my friends who were born in like Thailand will say, when you go to the hawker stands, yes. you don't look at a menu. You go to that stand and that's what they do. They, they do one dish. They only do the one thing. And if right. you want the other dish, you go over there. So Hainan chicken is now being served everywhere in Las Vegas. Thank it's you. over in Resorts World. Um, <laughs> there are places off the strip. But ain't nobody was doing that before you guys were doing it. And now talk about your signature dish here. You, you just spoke about it. It's this pork rice dish, but, it, and as you said, it's sort of a staple, uh, overseas, but yes. just give, tell people what it is one more time, please. So here, what we do is we do our take on it. Traditionally, it's served over white jasmine rice. We serve it here over a blend of four different rices. So there's a black, brown, white, and glutinous rice blend. And then the pork is braised and then minced. And then there's a pork belly as well that's also cut up into little pieces. And then the pork belly and the minced pork are both served over the rice. And uh, if you want a taste of Taiwanese cuisine, any Taiwanese family, when they're eating dinner, at the dinner table, there is luro fun, which is the rice with the pork, and then there are the other dishes that they then top on. So here we do three different renditions. We have the roasted spring chicken, the pork ribs uh, with the cumin spice. Uh, those are four St. Louis style ribs. And then we also have the 
pork chop, which is a Taiwanese-style pork chop. And it's actually gluten-free because we dredge it in sweet potato starch, and then we deep fry it. Actually, I don't think I was supposed to say that, but that's okay. You can keep it on record. I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer to Sheridan. <laughs> was that a trade um, secret? Trade secret. Oh my. Yeah, sweet potato starch. And I have to say, if you have not, anybody who hasn't been in here, you're missing out. There's nobody that I speak to. Anybody who covers food in Las Vegas, anybody who talks about food in Las Vegas, they've had that dish. They love that dish. Members of the national press come out here. Everybody knows that dish. So that's just, you have to do it. Come where we are yes. right now. Eat it. You're lunch only, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. We're Tuesday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And some people come in and they'll be like, you don't do dinner? And we say no. And they say, why are your hours so short? And then we go, we traded in our long hours of work for work-life balance. And we pick up our son afterwards. And then we have Sundays for family day and then Mondays for appointments. So we just scheduled it around what we wanted. And you guys are going to be here 99% of the time, 95% of the time. I mean, it's, I you're here say, a hell of a lot when I, I would come in. Say, yes. I would say unless I am out grabbing an ingredient, which it's only me and Sheridan here, we are here 100% of the time. Cool. Okay. So now, thank you very much for that. Um, I could not... I could not give a higher recommendation that people come into every grain than what I'm giving right now. So get your butts in here. Speaking of uh, generations and a generational chef owner yourself, what about the third generation sitting over there staring at his computer? (laughs) So Sterling has made a couple of things at home. He's also washed some dishes at home. Here he has made every single drink that's on the menu at least once. And then for... Food, uh, he has eaten some of the dishes and he knows how to describe it. He's done front of house. He hasn't done too much back of house yet because you have to wait until you're 16 to get a health card. But we did already ask for him if he could take. He has. Uh, did you ask him? Yes, we asked him. And okay. he said he's interested in getting a health card when the time permits. So, you know, he already knows how to read very well. I just can't wait for him to be able to actually take the test and get a health card and be like, look, awesome. look what I got. Well, I'm, I had a slip of the tongue walking in here. I, I called him Sheridan accidentally. That's okay. Said, that's I'm okay. sorry. Sheridan I mistook Jr. you for my dad, your dad. And he said, I am my dad. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, so thank you so much for having us here. And this is the time when we usually chat about where we have dined over the past week or so. I got to admit, I have not been to a lot of glamorous VIP openings this week. <laughs> I'm feeling not nearly as fabulous. Um, I did did make it over to Casa Playa at Encore for their official celebration. I've talked about that place a few times, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. I don't know. Have you been had a chance to be, get in there? Casa Playa, I haven't no. been. Okay, no. well, very very good, and um, Chef Sarah over there is fantastic. Uh, only thing new I have to add about that is that I, I did get the churros, which are pretty awesome, and so when I had our characters caricatures drawn twice a piece, you can find those dessert images on the Food and Loathing social media page, and the sketches of those um, caricatures on my personal social media pages. Um, I have some smaller spots that I've been to. I want to mention a relatively new restaurant I visited this week called Berserker Burgers. 
I want to send him a shout out. This is actually less a restaurant than a takeout window specializing in sliders and shakes. So I feel like you guys could relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it got my attention for a few reasons. Number one, it's adjacent to Eduardo Cardova's new piano bar, Star, over on Sammy Davis Jr. Drive. Okay. Cardo- oh, yeah. Eduardo is a friend of this show, of this podcast, and um, we always want to send some love. And by the way, that's the old Sunny Saloon Diamond Chinese restaurant oh, space. Yeah. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in there, but it's a, it's a weird little neighborhood, but really... <laughs> Really yeah. great. That's a nice way to put it. It's a scary little neighborhood. <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's a fun little neighborhood and by, by some of those weirder um, strip clubs. But it's a good place if you're getting out of like a, you know, right behind kind of resorts world and you're getting out of a club, you're looking for something to do afterwards, go to the piano mm-hmm. bar, get one of their sliders. I think great late, mu- late night munchie spot. They've got nine different sliders. They have vegan options ranging from impossible sliders to lentil sloppy joes, five different shakes and floats, cookie dough, blood orange dreamsicle, um, even Chris Amazing. Kale from Five Finger Death Punch has doing a root beer float with them um, for his scholarship Ooh, I love fund. root beer floats. So I just want to send them a shout out and say, hey, I also made it into Firefly this week. That's oh, how was that? You know, I, I wanted to chat about that. You've been to Firefly, right? I mean, love I, Firefly, yeah. I moved here in 2001. I started eating at Firefly probably my first three months here. John Simmons is a great guy, the owner of Firefly. It's weird to me because I feel like Firefly, when it opened, was like the only Spanish place in Las Vegas. Yeah. And in 2001, I was coming from Brooklyn where there were a lot of tapas restaurants, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find tapas here. Firefly was it. And I, was, I loved it. I was thrilled to find it. I feel like in the 20 years since, they might have Americanized their menu a bit more, just a tiny bit, which mm-hmm. I don't begrudge them doing that. But it's weird because right now, I think Spanish food is having a real moment in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Between EDO mm-hmm. is open, a new place, Hamon Hamon, that I want to get into, uh, Valencia and Gold. Mm-hmm. So Spanish is really on fire right now, so yeah. to speak. I think have you it's been in- to Pamplona? I ha- I, yes, a while ago. Okay. I haven't been since COVID. Have you? No, not since COVID. No. Uh, but it but it is cool that Spanish is having a moment right now. I think Firefly, you know, there was a recent um, Las Vegas Weekly cover story mm-hmm. on the resurgence of Spanish food. And anybody that's anybody who's interested in Spanish food should go look that up, look up that article. But they as they say, you've okay. got to remember the people who started it all. And that's Firefly. So for, for sure. me, getting back into Firefly was great. And I was very happy to be in there. And I do think it's important to remember they're still there. Yeah. Um, I made it into the first anniversary party for Chinglish, so congratulations oh, to yay. those guys. Um, any place that you want to talk about before we cut to our, for our next segment? Yes, I recently went to Ni Xiaolong, which is a Xiaolong Bao dumpling place. So it's a soup dumpling place on Spring Mountain, and they mainly do soup dumplings. Okay. So I went to Shanghai Taste and tried their soup dumpling. Then the following... And they do a lot of different kinds of soup dumplings at Shanghai Taste. Yes, they do. So then the following week, we went to Ni Xiaolong just to try it. And it was so good. Ni Xiaolong is where Harbor Seafood Restaurant used to be. Harbor Chinese. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I feel like both of those are slightly better than Din Tai Fung. 
Okay, cool. Well, that's good <laughs> to hear. Xiaolong Bao is really interesting because, you know, China Mama used to be the place to get that here in Las Vegas. China Mama is still around. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm talking going back maybe 10, 12 years when I was writing the first edition of my book, Max and John telling me you got to get into China Mama, oh, yeah. you got to get the soup dumplings, you got to do the Xiaolong Bao. And that was the only place to get it. And then they, so they those have also kind of exploded in popularity yes. these days. Yes. So you're saying the best place for you for Xiaolong Bao in Las Vegas? Right now, the crab Xiaolong Bao at Ni Xiaolong is probably my favorite Xiaolong Bao. Okay, that is a ringing endorsement, so thank you so much. Um, Still to come, I have a new freelance gig, and the topic is dinner and a show. We'll take a look at some headlines from those other food news reporters in town, and our cannabis review goes vegan and gluten-free this week. First, however, a look at the Las Vegas barbecue scene with two of my favorites. This is Food and Loathing. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joined with my producer, Rich Johnson, in the heart of the Las Vegas Arts District at Soul Belly Barbecue, this segment. And man, I love this room. I love this space. And uh, I'm joined by two barbecue pros in this town. We're going to introduce them one at a time, starting off the man who built this space from the ground up. You know him as a celebrity chef. You've seen him on TV. Maybe you've gone out to hear him do some rock and roll, some of that rock and roll music that he does so well. Kids all love. I am talking about Mr. Bruce Kalman. How are you, Bruce? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Um, I want to get a little background on you. People may have seen you on some some cooking competition shows, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, But what I think is really interesting, and as I'm sitting here, we're sitting right next to the stage at Soul Belly Barbecue, and it is a serious stage with some serious instruments up on it. And your love of barbecue is really rooted in rock and roll a little bit, right? You, um, it, yeah. You and Mr. Dave Grohl did some barbecuing yeah, together? That's how I got into it. Uh, it was kind of my intro to barbecue, uh, to real barbecue. Um, I mean, I've been a chef. I've been cooking for 37 years now and cooked mostly Italian food. And But obviously throughout my career, you know, you work in the restaurant that's poorly smoking ribs or, you know, doing stuff like that. And... Um, when I was in LA, you know, the LA thing to do is to cook for celebrities. And so I got hired to cook. <laughs> they a pay party. well and, and they, they, yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I got paid, I got, I got hired to uh, cater a party for the Foo Fighters at, at their studio at 606. And <clears throat> man, what an experience that was. Like just, they're the greatest dudes you've ever met. And 
<coughs> um, it was it was quite an experience. Well, fast forward to about a year later, I get in party to I get invited to a pre Cal Jam party, and I go and Dave's outside under a tent cooking barbecue, and so I catch up with him. And uh, next thing I know, I've got a knife in my hand and I'm slicing brisket. Next thing I know, it's the end of the night. <laughs> and uh, he just leans over and he goes, I feel safe when you're here. Give me your phone. And he put his, he put his number in my phone. And he's like, I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I said, of course, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> and he did. And uh, we've done a whole slew of barbecues from things, charity events around L.A. We put together a, a fun event at the L.A. Food Bank. Um, together and like my band played he got up and played with us which was pretty epic and then that band uh, Chevy Metal Taylor Hawkins cover band played after us um, we cooked on Dimebag's front yard in in Arlington Texas <laughs> we, we cooked at the Super Bowl I mean we've we've traveled and done some fun stuff but most importantly you know I just anything soulful is what I'm about when it comes to food I mean cooking the Italian food that I cooked is very soulful you know braises ragus fresh pasta it's artisanal, it's soulful, and I, I kind of look at barbecue the same way, you know. And um, when I was moving to Vegas, uh, Mr. James Trees has been a friend of mine for a while, and I said, I want to move out there. I'm thinking about doing a red sauce restaurant. And he said, no. He's like, what you need to do, he's like, you need to open a barbecue restaurant. Is that just because James was had Because <laughs> James wanted sauce, barbecue nearby. Yeah, he wanted yeah. to eat barbecue, and no. he was already going to be cooking red sauce? <laughs> it could be. I mean, it might have been his play. Who knows? And um, Just kidding, James. <laughs> I'm not. Of course you are. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, you know, I, I, I said, well, I, I have a lot to learn, you know, still about barbecue. And I still at this stage do. Um, but we popped up for six months and I got to practice day in and day out. And, you know, starting it, it, for me, it's like anything else. It's about being a good technician and a good problem solver, like being able to look at it and say, OK, turn it out like this. Where did we go wrong? Mm-hmm. What should we try next time? consulting friends that do that no barbecue i still do it with like our sausage program i'm still working on and i have a, a buddy that makes incredible sausage you know so i'm never i will never say that i'm a, a master really of anything mm-hmm. um i just enjoy doing this and i feel like we're, we're putting out some pretty tasty food and you're doing it right in the heart of the arts district which is for my money the most exciting place to be in las vegas right now um and it's a great walking neighborhood i always said that even if, if this were back in the days before cell phones where you couldn't just text your friends and find out where they are i feel like this place soul belly would be like the meeting you'd point for everybody them, yeah. you'd b- b- run into everybody so the cool uh, thing we get is in regards to you know people walking around is just that you know, the smell, our smokers are right out front, and they said the smell brings them in. Oh, yeah. Sitting right next to you, I have Mr. Mike Moore. Mike and I have known each other for a while now, and I've known... I've known his company, Roland Smoke Barbecue, I think even longer than than I knew you. Roland Smoke, I have to say, is the first um, Las Vegas barbecue place that I ever really fell in love with. That I ever said, wow, these guys are doing something solid. You were over there on Highland, um, which is basically like low-rent strip clubs and you. And, um, and low-rent strippers looking for costume stores and you. With the smoke around the parking lot. You've since expanded. Um, you're over in Pond plaza with rick harrison and um chumley and the boys and um you're also over on the west side of town 
Mike, tell me a bit about how Roll and Smoke, because I know you guys are sort of a hybrid style of barbecue. You bring together a lot of different things. Tell me how Roll and Smoke was launched here in Las Vegas and what it is you guys are all about. Well, the guys kind of started out on the side of the road years ago at a hardware store with a smoker. Um, made a couple sandwiches. Each day it got bigger and bigger. And um, it's funny, we still have people that want us to come back to the hardware store and ask why we're not still there. And it still pops up on Google. But um, the spot on Highland was actually going to be, I think if memory serves me correctly, it was a couple guys were going to open up like a coffee shop or something like that. And they started building it out. Well, John, the owner, um, Trey, as he's affectionately known by family and friends, um, rented the spot for the kitchen mainly um, and people just kept saying man let us come in and sit down and eat because they were literally cooking on a JR oil or smoker in the parking lot um, and started letting people in and from then on it's just been lines out the door and thankfully hasn't stopped since it's um it's funny you said that about the district the area because we've expanded into yet another suite um, because we do have a full commissary there so we're having to ramp up for the stuff we do it now at Allegiant Stadium and T-Mobile Arena so we're having to build even more space to be able to to keep up with everything so it's been an adventure that's right and i should give you guys the shout out at t-mobile um a, a week or two ago i was mentioning my favorite spots and um i did mention mark marone's spots at 109 you're right around the corner from mark in 109 as well we are, right? yep. they moved us we're right at the top of the escalator and kind of around to the left we used to be we used to have the best spot in the arena but um they decided that selling vgk swag was more important yeah. so, which is cool i mean i understand it so well we're we recording do. this the day of the kraken game and i'm gonna be out there tonight so i'm gonna pick up some of your stuff when me I go too i'll be in hide so i'm looking forward to it cool man good game so let's talk a bit about las vegas and barbecue we're not known as a barbecue town i think barbecue has suffered from a lot of problems the same problems that um that pizza suffered from in this town which is we don't have a an indigenous style right. which means everybody bitched that what they got was not what they were used to from home right and it's taken a little while i don't think we've come as far as pizza has come with barbecue yet but um, it, I think it's taken a while for people to start catching on that there's nothing wrong with having a lot of different styles in one city. And that, you know, that's cool. You can go yeah. get a little Texas style, get a little whatever. Now, you guys call Rolling Smoke like an, an Arkansas-style barbecue or a Carolina-style barbecue? Well, more of a Southern style. I mean, that's okay. it, kind of a mix of things. I mean, the, the guys are from Arkansas. I'm from Eastern North Carolina. So, um, you know, a lot of the recipes are things that, you know, we kind of, they already kind of had that I came on board and we kind of tweaked the menu and influenced things. We, we cook with hickory and, you know, it's, everything's hand rubbed. So it's nothing over the years has really been changed. It, it seemed to work. So we figured why, why try to fix it or make it any different or better. We have more sides than we should probably have, um, <laughs> you know, but it, it it's funny you think about taking things away and your customers are like well, you don't have that anymore because it's not on the menu and we still have it we just we've added things and we'll take stuff off but if you know us if you've been a rolling smoke person long enough you're like hey do you guys still have the nacho fries or do you, do you still have the barbecue sundae and we always have that stuff but we just had to make more room on the menu because we you know naturally want to try new stuff right so it makes it fun i think the first thing i got turned on to at rolling smoke that i really liked was that smoked meatloaf that oh, you yeah. guys did right which or you still do that right we do it's wildly popular it's been on several tv shows we've had celebrity guests people come in um you know chefs and you know cook it with us and put it on their tv shows and stuff and um it's it's a fan favorite that and the outlaw burger both bruce what kind of what style would you say you do <coughs> um i mean i would definitely say that stylistically 
we're I would say we're regional, you know, barbecue with with the with the beef. We're focusing more on Central Texas technique, um, and you know, using salt and pepper, heavy pepper. Um, we're cooking on offset smokers with post oak. Um, our butts are more Carolina. We make a Carolina red sauce for our pork for our pulled pork uh, ribs. I would say or kind of Memphis style, and then we do glaze with a little bit of sauce. So it's just, you know, for me, the style is just uh, delicious. The style <laughs> is kind of the goal, you know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, to your point, everybody has their, their, you know, what they think of when they, you know, when they, wherever they grew up, right? You know, it's like uh, like me, I grew up in Jersey, so, which is my favorite thing to tell Texans. Now, this way. is what I'm curious about. <laughs> After, yeah. uh, before you say what you're about to say, I grew up in Jersey, and barbecue to me just meant anything you put on a grill and put barbecue sauce on, right? Like there was, I didn't even know that smoking as a kid, I didn't know that smokers were a thing. Yeah. A barbecue was just putting hamburgers on the grill. So when you grew up, but I grew up in South Jersey. What about you? I what grew was up in barbecue? North Jersey is the same. I mean, the, the only, my only memory is uh, this place TJ's and it was ribs and mussels. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, yeah. And they made an, an onion loaf, I remember. It was like a fried onion. They, so they batter onions. And then they drop them in, they pack them in a fryer basket and drop it in. So when it comes out, it's a big loaf of like onion ring, basically. And they serve it with a knife. I feel <laughs> deprived because I grew up in Oregon and my father was a fisherman and we had the little chief smoker. We probably went through five of those over the course yeah. of the years. And it was always full of salmon and maybe a halibut and trout sure. and all that. It never occurred to him in 50 years to put a piece of cow or pig in there. <laughs> Jeez. Well, you know what's funny? Um, and credit where credit is due. I used to, to collaborate with a gentleman named John Curtis, who we all know in this town. And John would always say that when you're traveling, if you see a um, pig on this sign, you know it's going to be good barbecue, right? And that, that was that was his thing whenever we were out on the road together, he would say. And I'm looking at um, Mike's got pigs all over his logos right now. Yeah. But then when people talk Texas style, that's a totally different thing. It's got to be about a cow, right? Mainly, yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot more beef. I mean, there's like a lot of wild boar in Texas, too. But, you know, when you're talking about Texas barbecue, it's more beef than anything else uh, from what I've seen. But, you know, my, my whole idea here is to kind of take a chef's approach to barbecue. So looking at everything, and I'm never satisfied with it, first of all. And I'm constantly tweaking, trying to make it better, um, you know, comparing to, like, I thought our brisket was great. And then I was in Atlanta doing Atlanta Food and Wine and Leo Botello from Truth Barbecue. I just tasted his brisket and texturally and, and everything. I felt like it was very similar, but he had that punch of salt. So we upped our, you know, we increased our salt in the rub and it's way better. You know, I feel like you can just always grow and get better. Okay, so I always like to start with some, some novice questions for people like me who grew up without barbecue who didn't really have a, a background on it. Um, the first thing that I fell in love with when I discovered real barbecue was eating it without sauce, right? Because to me, you would just you'd throw sauce on anything and call it barbecue. So if I could get that smoke taste of eating something without sauce. So I became kind of a, a snob in my own way that I didn't want anybody bringing barbecue to my table with sauce on it. And then I kind of just became an asshole about that. Like, I would complain <laughs> whenever anybody did. And, you know, like as if I knew some shit, which I don't, you know. Um, so opinions, guys. Should it come to your table with sauce on it or does it? depend on the cut of meat or what, what's the deal we are well the way we do it we put a drizzle of house sauce just enough to have it on there um, and honestly most people order their stuff dry without sauce you know your goal is or at least 
from my perspective is you want people to be able to taste the flavor of the meat, what you cook with. I mean, you can go, like I'll go on a nine-day vacation and eat at 10 different barbecue spots. Um, some, I'm not going to say I've ever had any bad barbecue. I've had some I probably wouldn't have gone back and had again, but it's just different styles. You know, we cook with hickory. I heard you say you cook with post oak. I grew up on oak. In Florida, there, it rains every day. There's storms and there's trees down everywhere. So most everybody I know back home gets free wood to cook with because the tree trimmers bring it and trade them for lunch. <laughs> um, and I grew up on oak. So it's something that, you know, again, mesquite, different. Everybody here in town cooks with something different. So yeah. it makes it, I mean, it's almost worth taking a barbecue crawl, if you will, just to go to right. the different spots and see because it does taste different. Yeah. Okay, and we'll get to the wood in one second, but Bruce, with sauce or without sauce when it comes to the table? I mean, I, I think it depends on what it is. You know, for example, like we don't put anything on our brisket, um, some of those cuts, but we do glaze our ribs. Um, we, we already seasoned our pulled pork when we pull it with a little bit of salt and our Carolina red sauce. Then we just hit a little bit more, you know, and burn ends and rib tips, they're saucy. So, you know. Okay, now getting to the wood, right? And and you mentioned what you guys use. As a matter of fact, Brian over at um at Big, Big B's, I know he he can get mesquite in Nevada, but he doesn't like he Nevada mesquite, yeah. so he drives to Texas yep. because he wants Texas <clears throat> mesquite. Um, so how much is of it is just nerd talk about how the wood really affects the taste of it and how serious or how much of it is legit like that the wood completely changes the taste and again does that depend by the meat it's de it, it's definitely a legit thing um and it's also uh, what I, from what i've learned is like 90 percent of barbecue good barbecue is fire management mm -hmm. and so it, it's not only like what you have but how, what you do with it Okay, so is anything off-limited in what you can barbecue? When I see people barbecuing, um, I, and basically what I'm saying is, does anything make you cringe, right? When I see somebody bar smoking, barbecuing salmon, for example, or um, even over at the Beast, um, Todd English's place, they'll do barbecued carrots made to look like ribs. I hate carrots, so that's not going to do it for me. So what about you guys? Anything that makes you cringe when you see it, or anything that you would not do yourself? Not really. I mean, for me, uh, you know, I think you could play around with smoking just about anything, you know? And I, I know like I'm friends with, uh, Evan Leroy from Laurie and Lewis in Austin. And, you know, he does a lot of vegetables. He does beets, smoked beets and things like that. And, and I think there's definitely a niche for that. You know, there's all this kind of, uh, new barbecue, like heritage barbecues doing a lot of cool stuff in San Luis Obispo and, and, you know, same thing. So there's, you know, old, old barbecue, new barbecue, and I think that my, for me anyway, like I'm taking a lot from both of those, but I want to get the basics down first, you know, and then it's like, right. then you play with it from there. Then once you have it mastered, you can, you can play around. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Anything make you go crazy when you see it? Honestly, no. And I've seen some stuff, you know, being from the South, people doing gators and stuff like that. And, you know, growing up the way I did and where I did, but, you know, inevitably it seems like we always get that group that has a handful of vegetarians so can you do something you know for us you know and i'll jokingly say yeah we've got salad and coleslaw but we you know i mean we'll <laughs> throw portobellas and squash in the smoker and put a little smoke to it and then you know make a you know make them a nice we use a chipotle wrap for our barbecue wraps so you know there's things that you can do to be creative to include those people as well al did i hear you correctly saying you think smoked salmon is 
an abomination. No, no. I, I said I, <laughs> I'm just talking about some things that I don't expect to see in a barbecue restaurant oh. that I've seen in a barbecue restaurant. No, smoked salmon is different than barbecue restaurant smoked salmon yeah. also. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask you in a minute about um, about some of the collaborations and the events that are coming up here in Las Vegas. I know people want to know about that. But first, tips for the home backyard barbecue person. I want to start with somebody who grew up like me, who never smoked meats in their backyard, who was basically hamburgers on a grill was a barbecue. How would you advise getting into smoking? Is there, a, is there an intro smoker you can buy, a good fuel you should use? What would you guys tell the, the first timer? I mean, I, I think that, you know, Traeger, Yoder, like those, those smokers now do a great job. They're technologically advanced too. Like my Traeger at home, it connects, there's an app you get on your phone and you can control it from your phone. No way. It'll give you alerts. It can li- you literally set it, you fill it with pellets and you just let it cook. So, and so much for having to just sit in your backyard and stay awake all night. You've just got your app for it. No. Pretty, pretty much. And there's programs like this. They have recipes like they have a database of recipes mm-hmm. and it says, you know, and you pull up and the program is literally programmed into there. You just push the button and it'll, you know, cook it for this long for this, this temperature. And then it'll drop it to this temperature for this long. That's the coolest thing I learned yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> What's in those pellets, though? Because I always sort of worry about what it takes to make those little hunks of wood, those little hunks of wood. I Yeah. I mean, I don't I honestly don't know. I don't know if you know. It's, it's just, just compressed, compressed sawdust, sawdust. Yeah. OK. Of whatever oak. You know, alder, hickory. Nothing else stuck in there to make it stick. I don't believe so, no. The biggest difference is, in my experience, is anything you cook on those. I have two of them at home. I don't have the newer technology with the Wi-Fi. Um, I'm the more (laughs) old school. Just put a probe in it or go check it every now and then or by feel. But honestly, the pellets retain so much more moisture. We have one uh, Fast Eddie cook shack at our restaurant that we used to cook whole hog, and that's the same way. The The pellets retain so much moisture that it gives your meat a totally different texture than you would like we cook with stick hickory. Um, and the, the meat is obviously good because people come for it every day, but there's a distinct difference between cooking with a hardwood, for example, and a pellet because the pellet just seems to let the meat retain more moisture, uh-huh. which in some instances is... It's good, it's good or better. Yeah. A first timer, which would you recommend? The pellets? Honestly, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, like I say, I've got three Traegers at home, and I don't think you could go wrong. But, I mean, there's pit bosses. There's an, a number of master brand electric. I've seen people cook on so many different kind of smokers. It's unreal. And there's so, so much great information now, especially on oh, yeah. YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like Texacana barbecue guys. That, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a consultant. He's a guy from Italy that moved to Austin and mastered barbecue and mm-hmm. talks about the science of just the wood and mm-hmm. the fire and the way you build the fire, how it affects the end cook. And, you know, any of Aaron Franklin's uh, master stuff is great. And there's, there's a lot of good info out there, you know. So for the home person, I would say, yeah, start with a pellet smoker, but do some research on, on how to, you know, work with actual sticks. Right. Easiest uh, meat to try for the first time that you're doing, that you're smoking? I mean, beef ribs are probably the most forgiving thing that I've experienced because there's so much intramuscular fat. And there's so much fun because it feels like you're Fred Flintstone when you see those. Oh, yeah. Sit on the side of your source ribs. Fall over, man. Um, Okay, so gentlemen. Bruce, first of all, you do a lot of collaborations right in here, and I know you have one coming up with our friend Brian over at Big Beef yep. Barbecue. So tell me about that. Also tell me about some of the rock and roll. I know you just had um, your band Foie Grock play yeah. here. So yeah. so tell me what you got coming up here. So I mean, this whole month we, we've kind of dedicated to doing every Saturday, uh, bringing in a guest chef. So I had a buddy. He has a place in Tofino 
uh, off the coast of Vancouver called Lynn Ronnie's Barbecue. Uh, he came down the first weekend, and Tyler Anderson, who I was on Top Chef with, was in this past weekend, and he has a, a barbecue taco concept in Connecticut that's pretty awesome. And then uh, this week we're off because of Unstripped, and then the next weekend is Brian from Big V's. And then the following weekend I have Karis Kawana coming, and she's, she's doing sitting a right sweet, over there right a now. Sweet, a little hey, savory. Karis. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want it to just be barbecue people. I wanted it to be, you know, have other chefs come in and have fun with the smoker. Cool. Because the smoker's fun. Now, Mike, you said you got something going on at Allegiant Stadium coming up? Yeah, we've got an event coming up for the Raiders-Chiefs game. Is this um, private, or can anybody it's open tickets to the public? To the game tickets can go? are for sale on Facebook and through the company's called Events Q. Um, a couple of my friends from Central Florida and um, Kansas City are coming in. They have a team of people, and they go to different cities. I think they're in. I want to say they're in Nashville coming up for the Titans Chiefs game this week or next week. So they've gone around the country and done it at different events, and um, it's a two-day event. The first day is going to be like a Wagyu beef type of event we're tasting that kind of thing on a saturday night before the game vip and then they're going to have the event on game day it starts at like 10 a.m and runs till 2 a.m it's like a before after during tailgating drink and barbecue and hang out and right outside the stadium literally right outside the stadium is a place that's a good idea when nobody can get to the stadium (laughs) i think it's a five minute walk they said the place is called starbase if i'm not mistaken i've not scouted the area yet cool so um i think it'd be great for people the tickets are only like 30 bucks um, so to me, it'd be fun to go, and anybody can enter the competition. We're going to cook ribs that day. Um, we're going to go as rolling smoke and do ribs and sauce, and just going to be me and my pitmaster Eric from Ricks and my wife, and you know, just going to go have fun. Starbase. That's not code for crazy horses. No, I don't oh. think so. <laughs> yeah. In this oh, town, you never know. Barbecue, yeah. yeah, you guys should do a barbecue feast out in Crazy Horse parking lot, get some of the girls out there, the dancers. Um, I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm, a, I'm yeah. an idea man. Throwing that out. I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. It is Vegas. So. Um, look, I'm going to put up links on my website, theneonmohawk.com, that people know where they can get to get tickets to all these things that you're talking okay. about. Um, Bruce, yours are just pretty much show up that night, right? Yeah, I mean, you just go, you know, we, we've Typically, have started serving their specials around 2 p.m. So, you know, it's just been fun. Uh, we'll be over at Allegiant also. We're doing mm-hmm. guest chef stuff in the suites for that. <laughs> yeah. We did, yeah. We, we, yeah, we just did Like, it. if I was cool, yeah. I could do I, that. I, huh? yeah. And or had money. <laughs> you could come in to help us. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't, no. want, you don't want me cooking for you. Trust me, man. Well, okay. Other things. There, there are some great barbecue places in this town. We haven't mentioned all of them. I know Jesse Ray's is super popular. Those, those guys are good people. Bumped into them at Disneyland last time I was there, of all places. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, there, there's a cool community. Any other barbecue places you would recommend? I mean, I've been out to, uh, um, actually, I went to Fox, is it Fox's Barbecue? Yeah. But yeah. they were close. Border City. <laughs> so, I rode by there the other day. We rode the bikes down for Leonard Skinner, and I didn't stop. I haven't been to the new place yet. But Yeah. I love, I mean, Big B's is great. You know, yeah. I love Brian. Brian and, and Nodger, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. They're awesome yeah. people. Okay, well, that's it. Barbecue, smoke them if you got them, as they say. <laughs> and um, again, I, we're, we're here right now at Soul Belly Barbecue, the home of the jiggly meat. And um, Mike Moore with us. Thanks so much, brother, from, um, from Rolling Smoke. Again, the first barbecue place I discovered in this town. And I still love it. You got many locations, including at T Mobile. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joined again by our producer, Rich Johnson, and our guest co-host, Jenny Wong, once again at Evergreen on East Charleston Boulevard. Um, It's interesting, in the time between when we recorded that last segment on barbecue and Bruce Kalman, by the way, keeping hush-hush about his new projects during that segment, I was down on Fremont Street before I came over here, and I heard some rumors about Bruce and Fremont Street. So I'm not going to tell you what I heard, but um, I don't know. Keep listening to this podcast, and hopefully I'll have some stuff for you in the not-too-distant future when I call Bruce and find out if it's true, because right now I could just be talking shit. You never know. <laughs> um, also, just real quick on barbecue, we had Mercy Barron as our guest co-host last week. She had a few thoughts on barbecue because she is a certified master judge. So I'm going to um, let you hear what she had to say right now. I've always said Las Vegas has been slow to find a good barbecue scene. I think it's the same reason we were slow to find a good pizza scene, which is that we have a lot of expatriates who all think that their style is the only style. Right. And then they act like dicks to people that aren't doing their style. (laughs) Um, What have you found looking around Las Vegas? Well, in Las Vegas, and it's really the same where I'm also from in San Diego, everybody wants to call it Texas style. And Texas style would mean you don't see a lot of pork you don't see a lot of sauce you see a lot of brisket and you see a lot of beef it's all really a lot of baloney to me because everybody has all the different proteins and it goes on and on uh but man we have an amazing barbecue scene here i mean there's over 25 restaurants i haven't been to all of them yet but i'm going to tell you that there's at least four or five that kind of knock me out that are really good so you want to name drop a couple of names? course man i love bruce Coleman's place uh, soul belly barbecue in downtown there i think it's on main street and really good uh, l to barbecue texas barbecue which a lot of people don't know about and man you got to get out there because they these two guys they know what they're doing really good um unfortunately we lost sin city smokers uh, they're not open they just closed recently but those two are kind of like my top two places and i highly recommend them okay and thank you again mercy she was a lot of fun having her um yeah. on the show and i hope to have her back soon okay now it is time for the news Rich, you have some news on our friend Bobby Flay, correct? Yes, the showbiz uh, newspaper Variety was the first source of this. Uh, word that Bobby Flay and the Food Network are parting ways when his current contract expires at the end of the year. Flay was a, uh, a Food Network mainstay nearly since the beginning. He was sort of among the second wave of chefs, uh, joining the originals like Emeril and David Rosengarten and Jacques Pepin. And Robin Leach had a show the original TV Food Network, as it was known then, because of copyright reasons. Do you ever see that? No, but, um, you know, Robin was very... um, Robin was a good friend, very helpful to so many people in this town. And we all knew that Robin was an original, I guess, investor or partner in the Food Network. And one of the things that we would always say is like, Robin, were you really an investor? I think even on Howard Stern, Howard was like, Robin, are you an investor? And he's like... I share in the profits or something <laughs> like that, right? So um, Exactly. The great Robin Leach. Um, so what's Bobby Flay going to do next? Uh, well, he, you know, he opened Amalfi here at Caesar's Palace, replacing Mesa Grill. And earlier this year, he started a podcast with his daughter called 
always hungry. I guess we better go find that and listen to it. Look, Bobby could use some time off. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm lucky enough to have met Chef, Chef Flay a few times, many times over the years. He's been really kind to me. For the longest time, I kind of thought he was a bit of, well, let's just say I, I found him very standoffish, very busy. Um, we, we got to know each other better when we worked on a benefit um, together for, uh, for one of our friends, Max Jacobson. But what I learned about Bobby after I got to know him is that man just works nonstop. Yeah. Every time I would see him, he'd be like, he got an order for another hundred. I mean, it was like the ridiculous, the number of episodes he had to shoot for the Food Network. And, you know, there were years that he was at the very top of the top grossing chefs in the world. And most of that money came from television, I'm sure. Yep. And he deserves every bit of it. He's a hardworking guy. He also deserves to take a little bit of time off. Um, so look, man, I, I wish him the absolute yeah. best. He's always been really kind, both to this podcast, to Las Vegas in general, um, and to me personally. He's done a lot of projects for me and been super helpful. So look, Bobby, take your time, um, you know, do what you got to do, man. Spend some time to yourself and enjoy. And I will be seeing you at Amalfi. Other interesting thing about the Food Network, since you brought up Robin Leach's involvement, have either of you, are you, are you familiar with the name Shep Gordon? Sort of. Shep Gordon. Shep Gordon. Absolutely. Yeah. Shep Gordon was a rock and roll manager, managed um, Alice Cooper, still manages Alice Cooper to this day. And for a while, he started hanging out with chefs for a little while. And he realized none of them were managed. None of them were being treated like stars. And he took a bunch of them, including Emeril, a whole bunch of people under his wing. And that was about the time Robin Leach was starting. The, and then people were starting the Food Network. And he cut wow. a deal. Yeah, really. Shep Gordon started the celebrity chef kind of revolution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he also was a good friend of, um, of Kerry Simon, a great mm -hmm. Las Vegas yes. chef. So if you ever want to really see how those rock and roll worlds intertwined, go on, whether it's Amazon or wherever you can find it, look for a movie called Supermensch. It's oh, the yeah. Shep Gordon story. Fantastic. It's mostly about rock and roll, but there's some really, really cool stuff about how he, because he was friends with, I believe, Jacques Pepin. Yeah. And um, followed him around and said, wow, you chefs don't make any money. What's this about? Let's make you into stars. <laughs> and he did it. And that was the funny thing. He had said, I believe he said in that movie that um, Emerald, they didn't have any money to pay him. Mm -hmm. So he said, how about we create a product and Emerald can push his product on your network. And that's where the BAM seasoning stuff came from. Wow. So just a little side note, too. So best of luck, Bobby. God bless Chef Gordon. Yeah. Robin Leach, we miss you. Um, yeah. So I just kissed everybody's ass that's ever been at the Food Network. <laughs> Supermensch is also a book, too, if people don't want to watch the movie. Oh. Cool. If they have more time on their hands. Yeah, if they have more time. That reading thing. <laughs> uh, also in the news, Eater Las Vegas has released its list of the 17 hottest new restaurants in Las Vegas, the October edition. Not going to run down all of them. Uh, you should go over there and read it for yourself. There's no paywall. It's free. Suffice it to say that many of their picks are places we've already chatted about here on Food and Loathing. Yep. There are four virgin restaurants on there, only two that I noticed from Resorts World. Most of those, again, places that I'm already very excited about. A few places that we we need to try, Rich, We've, yeah. and especially for your junk food. Mr. <laughs> fries Man on West Coast, West Craig Road. Is this where, one of these places where they do fries and then just, just put all kinds of weird shit on it? I guess so. We're going to have to check it out. I just I noticed these today on Eater, uh, so oh, okay. I'm going to send people over there to uh, Eater. Okay. Aromi Italian Restaurant on West Rampart, Kono's North Shore on Washington Avenue, Takumi Itzakaya on Rainbow near Robindale. I have not been to any of those. Also have not been to Lynetta in downtown Summerlin, although just about every guest on this show loves that. <laughs> so I'm just giving a heads up yeah. and a shout out to my friends at Eater. And Jenny, have you been to any of those places I just mentioned? All of those places, 
I have not been to. <laughs> okay. We, we made so it to, now I have a new list. Thank you. I made it to where I am as so a, listening to your podcast from now on. <laughs> we made it to where Romy uh, for takeout, and it was uh, wonderful. Okay. And it, and it traveled well. Didn't have to travel more than a mile point two, but it traveled well. Okay. Well, then there you go. It is rich approved, which is good. Yeah. Um, also, have truffles jumped the shark? Look, of course not. <laughs> maybe they're losing their status as an elitist staple, which might be a good thing, might be bad. But truffle case- presentation <laughs> long ago jumped the shark. Yeah, I love truffle presentations because it's the best way to sell something at a restaurant. You bring out something that's super expensive, you shave it over a table, and everyone in the restaurant <laughs> can smell it, and then they all want it because they want the presentation, and they want to spend the money. But, um, man, I looked at my email this morning, and shake shack sent me a press release hyping their new truffle centric menu featuring a black truffle burger and parmesan garlic fries the burger has gruyere cheese topped with black truffle sauce and crispy shallots on a toasted potato bun the parmesan garlic fries feature shake shack's famous crinkle fries topped with garlic parmesan cheese and served with black truffle sauce on the side god okay available october 15th through january 10th look i love my friends at shake shack but i sort of did have to mock them because if i'm going out for a truffle tasting menu i don't think it's going to be at shake shack copy and paste to the press release yeah we know you he's al's mocking you al is mocking you yeah (laughs) um okay rich you've got some stuff going on Uh, with the mayor right uh yeah you know we go to these uh uh, the oscar goodman dinner series they had one uh, uh about almost a month ago next one's coming up in November featuring former Las Vegas mayor Oscar Goodman. A couple of weeks ago, I played a couple of sound bites to get you teased. You can hear the bigger bites and uh, CEO Jonathan Jossel from the Plaza on the Plaza podcast, which is back after a very long hiatus. On the corner of Main Street is the title. Find it pretty much the same place you find this podcast. Cool. And I like Jonathan Jossel. He's a good guy. Oh, yeah. Very and, nice. Um, mm-hmm. I also liked it when they had the Demolition Derby at the Plaza. Oh, they're coming It was back. like the coolest damn event yeah. ever. It was like watching a Happy Days episode. <laughs> and so tell Jonathan I want those VIP seats he got me for the Demolition <laughs> Derby. <laughs> no, I want them next time. And I'm, I'll put in as many shameless plugs as I can for that. Um, uh, what else? Okay, so it's time for edibles. And this week, we've got smoky edibles. Oh. I was not going to get these. These are all gummies. They do many, many different flavors. They're all gummies. They're all THC only, not CBD gummies. They're all 10 milligram dose. Um, they, you don't get to choose between sativa or indica. You just get your 10 milligram dose of THC in whichever flavor you want. So they change the flavors. They don't seem to change the dosing from flavor to flavor. Um, but they are gluten-free and vegan. So for my gluten-free and vegan stoner friends out there, I said, I'm going to try these. I picked up a batch, and this is the part where Rich usually has to edit down my damn um, <laughs> yeah. my packaging. I open. hate the packaging of edibles. <laughs> it's almost impossible to get the, um, the, the Ziploc bag reopened. But, okay, this is the problem with these. I'll hold these up to our camera. Maybe I'll show oh. this. These things just all stick together, right? Like, these are gummies that are gummified. So and they're smoky? That's the idea? No, smoky is the name of the brand. Oh, okay. These are blackberry fruit chews. Oh, okay. And so, message there. again, they're, they're about the size of a quarter. And I like it. That's 10 milligrams. You could bite off a, a 2 milligram dose if you want. That's not too hard. I did try these last night. And um, they are that kind of gummy. It sticks in your tooth kind of gummy. It's oh. like a gumdrop oh, no. gummy, no, right? No. So if you like that, you'll enjoy it. They don't just, you know, they're not really a break-off kind of thing. But, man, they all stick together in the package. Not a fan of that. They do taste good. Hey, look, let's face it. 
vegans need to get stoned as well. Yeah. Free people need <laughs> okay. to get stoned as well. So go well, get them. What is usually, oh, gelatin is usually the thing for the gummies. That would make it uh, non-vegan. Yeah. So I guess they don't use, you know, the, anything out of the dead animal bone to make the gelatin or Damn. any of that mm-hmm. stuff. They can but, use carrageenan also okay. for, for non-vegan. But they stick in your tooth. And if I had any fillings that I was worried about, I might be a little worried, but they are very tasty. So God bless you guys at Smokies. Keep keeping the vegan stoned. Love you for that. And um, that is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thank you to all of our guests. We had Bruce Kalman. We had Mike Moore. We have the great Jenny Wong, Aww, Evergreen, and she hosted us. Thank you too, so too much. Kind. Thank you. Next week, Rick Moonen returns to the guest host chair. He'll tell us where he's been for the past two weeks. And we'll be talking sushi with chefs from on and off the strip. Please tell a friend about Food and Loathing and say nice things about us, especially uh, if you listen through Apple Podcasts. But either way, we we do want your feedback, your likes, your retweets. Find out everything you need to know about all that at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. Or just reach us direct as well, info at foodandloathing.vegas. Cool. And one thing I did forget to mention, go to theneonmohawk.com. Actually, no, right now, go to Lip Smacking Foodies Tours. I wrote an article for them about best places to get dinner and a show. So please go read that again for my friends over at Lip Smacking Foodies. Um, yeah. I've been talking about them for a long time. And they called me up and said, do you want to write for us? And I was very excited about that. So I did. Um, and I believe that is about it. If wherever you're listening to this podcast, go there and hit the follow button or the subscribe buttons. That's about all I have to say. With producer Rich Johnson and Jenny Wong, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. 